The view of this valley is amazing. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the end. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. I my name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and uh, as you know. I've got a whole heap of calls from Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And I said I would address those here. And that is what I'm going to attempt to do. Because I've got some additional calls praising the previous episode that I'd like to address here first. I want to share those with you because, well, it's just really nice to get some good feedback and know that I'm putting out content that's being appreciated. Also, a large part of that is down to the amazing message that Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting sent me. So um, I'm going to get into those first, and then I'm going to move on to addressing Jason's messages, which I haven't listened to yet, but I don't doubt that they're on a variety of topics. So let's get on with it. Stop that, stop that, cut that out. Now, you thought I'd forgotten, didn't you? But I'm supposed to be doing a review, overview, flip through, uh, promotion, delete as applicable of Darkness Moves by Perplexing Ruins. This is a little adventure supplement was it about 20, 24 pages for Cairn? Now, I've spoken about Cairn before, but just in case you're not familiar with it, it's a hack of Into the Odd, primarily designed to use with the Dolmenwood setting from Gavin Norman of uh, Old School Essentials fame. And based on the Into the Odd system, it incorporates elements of Knave, Mouse Ritter and Weird North, which is another um, into the odd hack. One of the uh, appealing things about Ken is that it's available for free on Itch. I think it's available on Drive Through. It's by uh, Yoche Gal. And uh, yeah, I, I spoke about that a couple of episodes ago. Darkness Moves, on the other hand, but is by Perplexing Ruins. I think it's a couple of bucks on itch for the PDF. But um, I saw a tweet from Perplexing Ruins asking if anyone was interested in a free print copy, if they were willing to give it a, a review. So I obliged 
as I just picked up a print copy of Ken, I, I could uh, couldn't really resist. And um, well, I'm glad glad I said yes because this is a really nicely put together little book. It's uh, basically a hex crawl of an area called the Violet Valley. I think that what's that? Nineteen hexes. It has a definite kind of grim feel to it. Um, it's nicely, very evocatively illustrated by um, Perplexing Ruins. Looking at the back cover, um, a level one to three adventure to supplement Cairn, taking place in a dark, mysterious place known as the Violet Valley. All art and text is mine, with a few instances of friendly input. The Hexen term is public domain art. I'll get to that in a minute. Good luck on your adventures in Darkness Moves. Yes, so the uh, Hexen term is uh, an area on the map. Um, I don't really want to give away any spoilers for this, so I'll just... I'll just um, Give you a bit of the flavour. There are ten featured locations on the the hex map itself. Let's have a look. Overview: Darkness Moves is a low-level adventure to use with Cairn. The setting herein is the Violet Valley, a tucked-away region resting between craggy hills to the west and north, and deep forest to the east. Desolate though serviceable road leads into the southern point of the map, reaching a middle-sized hamlet called Argyll. Um, the adventure describes a series of blighted, grotesque and mysterious activities. The valley and its locations are depicted on the map in three-mile hexes. Though travel may not take long, dark rain is continually falling, causing fields and forests to become soggy. There are no roads, but sometimes faint footpaths. Tracks and paths become muddy or flooded. The referee should decide on which encounter table to roll based on the terrain, distance from town and narrative needs. We've got a table of rumours, 12 rumours, 4 hooks, um, travel encounters. What have we got here? A table of 20 encounters there also got um, D4 forest and hill encounters, D4 bog and plains encounters and then we get into the descriptions of the 10 hexes that are marked out within the map. Nice little bestiary that's uh, across a spread with some nice illustrations, very very evocative illustrations there featuring some um, uh, yeah, rather creepy looking encounters. Ah, but you've also got the beast. Now, the beast um, is roaming the area, causing problems. It's caused trouble in the village. The mayor has gone missing, and it's believed that the beast is responsible for his abduction. But there are other rumours to suggest something else might be going on. But what's interesting about the beast is that it's a, it's an unknown quantity. It's um, rather than uh, being defined, 
we've got a nice creature generator, a series of tables for creating the beast, which I can see being useful in, in any game. That's, that's nice. Then we've got some uh, NPCs. Then you've got uh, detailing the village. There's uh, nine different locations there. Derelict Shrine, Mayor's Manor, Town Centre, Abandoned House, the Hexen Term, the Tavern, Alma's Hut, Blacksmith, Stables. Right, and then you've got the, the Hexen Term itself, which is kind of like a, an ominous looking tower. Uh, several locations within that, a bit more detail about what's going on in there. Um, Then some more details of uh, of locations on the hex, the Black Heart, Witch Cemetery, Berryfield, Bog Island, the Veiled Woods. That's a bit more detailed. A few locations there. Um, and then we've got a tomb with some, uh, well. Spoilers. Um, a bit more detail about what's going on in there. Minor treasures, major treasures, plants and herbs. Then you've got what lo looks like some kind of uh, merchant. Some of the wares that he has. Um, yeah, just really, this, this is packed with stuff. As I say, what is it, 24 pages? Yeah, really worth checking out. That would be useful for any game, I'd imagine. Any system, if you wanted to, a kind of a mysterious, boggy area to explore. I can highly recommend Darkness Moves. Right now, back to those wonderful messages. Hey Spencer, calling in because I wanted to say how much I really, really enjoyed Safer's theory and his call and your responses. That was awesome. You know, even if Safer did fall through a transdimensional wormhole and experience a whole different poem and theory on the Green Knight, it was worth it. I loved it. Uh, yeah, man, I'm all about the meaning of life being sex. Well, I guess procreation but i don't do that part of it hell i don't do any part of it anymore <laughs> anyway man from one multi-decades long substance abuser to another couple you dudes are awesome yeah and just thank you thank you both for that that was really really interesting and fun peace out hey joe joe richter there of hindsightless um thank you so so much for that message let me just reassure you that procreation, having kids, it uh, pretty much, um, well, let's just say that, you know, even if we wanted to have another one, the chances of that happening are very slim indeed. But glad you enjoyed that. Thank you for your call. Cheers. Hey, Spencer, it's BJ. Just enjoyed your, your latest episode. You're, you're hearing the... Uh... The, the extended message from uh, from Safer and your and your responses, and I don't know uh, 
if Safer is thinking of this, but there is a a Celtic myth story called, and forgive my American mispronunciation of these Celtic words, if I get it wrong, Rickru's Feast. It's a story of Cuchulain where he attends a feast and he and two other heroes are challenged to these feats to, to kind of prove their worth. And the other heroes refuse to uh, acknowledge that, that Koo has won. And so they they have to face this uh, opponent that challenges them the same thing. You know, you, you, you try to cut off my head, then I'm going to try to cut off yours. And, and Koo Kalin is the only one who comports himself with honor. And so he's, he's spared the, the beheading. Um, and th- there's parallels in that story, I think, to Gawain and the Green Knight. If that could have been a, a, a source, a, a, a source of inspiration, given that it is a, a Celtic tale, um, it's part of the Ulster cycle. Maybe, maybe so. Um, I don't know. But uh, that was a, a really good. Um, I liked hearing Safer's theories, whether he's come up with them on his own or found, you know, drawn them from literary sources that he's just having trouble remembering or, or relocating. I think that was a, a really great discussion you guys had on uh, on on the uh, the story there. So uh, enjoyed the episode. Take care. Hey, BJ. Thanks very much for your message. That's BJ from uh, The Arcane Alienist. I'm glad you enjoyed the discussion. And thank you so much for sharing that tale of Klukalin. I'm not familiar with the character myself or the story. There's a lot. There's a lot about Celtic myth that I don't know. And um, yeah, as as a source for the story, no doubt. As I said before, I think that a lot of these stories are very much reinterpretations, hijacked for for the purposes of telling other myths and legends. It's very interesting that it's the the Normans that went back to Celtic and Roman Britain to to find their British heroes of legend. Um, as as a Norman, you know you don't want to find yourself singing the praises of an Anglo-Saxon now, do you? And uh, I think BJ's got a bit more to say. Also, as to the uh, the 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 origins of of Arthur, I mean, clearly as depicted in the movie King Arthur, um, starring Clive Owen, which 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 said specifically that it is the true story that the legend is based on. Arthur was a Romano-British officer who led a contingent of Sarmatian cavalry in the last days of the Roman Empire um, before they withdrew from. Well, not the last days of the empire. The last days of the empire in, in Britain before they withdrew. So, so clearly, I mean, he, you know, the movie tells us he was a Romano-British uh, soldier, and and he married a a Druid, uh, Guinevere, and and he looked a lot like Clive Owen, and of course, uh, Lancelot looked a lot like uh, Ian Griffod. Um Yeah, so so there's your authentic <laughs> origins of King Arthur in history. Thanks, BJ. Yeah, um, what's interesting is how when you look at, say, the the Arthurian legend as we know them today, um, coming from like Mallory, I think there's a real effort there to kind of um, take those old myths 
back from the Welsh. I mean, all that Celtic stuff, all that mythology around Arthur, I think was largely considered to be nonsense by the Normans and they wanted to find out who the true Arthur was. And in doing that, I think they came up with the idea that he was a Roman general. I don't think there's actually a lot of evidence to support that. That very much comes from historians of the 14th century, I think. And, yeah, taking this sort of pseudo-historical idea of Arthur and then blending it with the French romance tales um, of uh, Lancelot and Guinevere. I mean, as far as I, I understand it, Lancelot is created there in those French romantic tales and there's there's no Lancelot in the old Welsh myths. Please bear in mind that I'm regurgitating kind of fourth-hand information here. Me listening to people speculate about the speculations of 13th century historians. Now, now before um, I succeed in talking myself into complete irrelevance, here's some more from BJ. Although, interestingly enough, in that, that King Arthur movie, um, the, the actor that plays Bertilak in The Green Knight actually, I think, played Gawain in that movie <laughs> with Clive Owen. <laughs> Thanks, BJ. Nice link there. I wonder if you've seen the other story of King Arthur, one that I have yet to watch, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, all about the tale of King Arthur Daly. Now, here's someone who will get that reference if nobody else does. Wah, I'm eight minutes into your podcast and you're playing Safer's messages instead of mine. Wah. Actually, given the choice between my messages and Safer's, I'd play Safer's all day long too. So there you go. Okay, let me go listen to his messages. That's Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And uh, while you go and do that, Jason, I'm going to listen to your messages. I'm just butting in here to give you a little heads up in this next message from Jason and in my response to it, there is a reference to the end of the film. So if you've avoided the previous two episodes because you don't want spoilers, you might want to skip the next minute or so. Hey, Spencer, that was wise playing Safer's calls because Safer's indeed a wise guy. Um, <laughs> now, actually, very interesting thoughts, and yeah, I, I don't disagree with the interpretations that, that you provided. I hope Safer gets a chance to watch the new film. Um, or did he say he did watch it? But yeah, it definitely. You know, I was watching the film. I've I've read the stories, but it's been a long time, and and I was thinking, I thought he gave the belt up, or I thought he gave him the belt in the end. You know, prior, but then I. Went, had to go back and look, and and the movie was accurate the way that, you know, he took off the belt, you know, after going to the Green Knight. He didn't actually give it back to Sir, to Sir, to, to the other guy. Um, but, yeah, no, interesting thoughts. Thank you so much for making me watch that movie. Appreciate it. It was definitely well worth my time. 
It's it's interesting what you say about the sash there, Jason, because when I was talking about the end of the film in the previous episode, I was about to say that he removes his sash. Then we see the Green Knight take the final swing and the film ends. But we don't see that at all, do we? It's interesting how your memory can come up with these little details that weren't even there. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Great to hear you back on the air. Yeah, the Green Knight RPG, I believe BJ over the Arcane Alienist is going to review it for us. So I'm going to wait for his review. I I don't know. I Like you, I'm not sure that I need to pick it up, to be honest. I think I can do that kind of story with other games I have, like Pendragon. Um, as far as the idea of honor or reputation instead of alignment, I don't know. I, I think you could fit both in a game. I mean, obviously you can fit both. But but I don't know if they, they do exactly the same thing. I understand the, the, the issues people have with alignment. I, and we've talked alignment in depth before, but but I almost think they're they're parallel things, not the same thing. But anyhow, let me get on to the rest of your show. Hey, Jason. Cheers. Um, let me just say before I forget that um, anybody who's been enjoying the Green Knight discussion here should go over and listen to BJ's podcast, The Arcane Alienist. He's done an episode. Uh, reviewing the film and he's also done an episode reviewing the game I urge you to go and check that out now uh, yeah alignment um, yeah I've spoken about my issues with alignment and you know they're they're well known anyway you know I think everyone's got an opinion on alignment Um, but I, I wasn't really proposing that having some kind of honor mechanism is the same thing as alignment. Um, I, I, I guess I was thinking in terms of how those in the world react to characters rather than using alignment to determine that, using something like a reputation. You know, having having a good reputation, if your good name precedes you, then you know, that's going to do you certain favours. But it's also going to mean that uh, maybe certain people are going to avoid you. And vice versa, if you've got a bad reputation, you might not um, get a good reception from more law-abiding citizens. But, um, you know, it might open some doors for you in the, you know, the criminal underworld. What I was I was kind of thinking along the idea of sort of faction play and how to track that. I'm sure there are plenty of games that make a, a good job of that that I should probably look into. But as for thoughts on alignment, I found some really interesting videos on YouTube. Philosophy in D&D uh, from the Innkeeper. I think is the channel where he looks at ethics and uh, kind of the, the philosophical ideas about morality and comparing those to the alignment system. So, um, so yeah, we're talking about the nine point alignment system. So it does the first video where he looks at 
good alignment in terms of different philosophical approaches to morality. Then the, the next video, he, he addresses neutral and evil. And, and while that's all very interesting, he then goes on to a subsequent video, Metaphysics of Morality, where he kind of rejects this endeavor he's been working on in trying to understand alignment in terms of morality and decides that thinking about alignment in terms of morality is, is kind of a mistake. And he concludes with the bizarre idea that in D&D, morality doesn't exist. And the idea of anti-realism. And that's when it kind of clicked for me, as bizarre as that sounds. I can't go into any of that. I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to attempt to summarize the videos here. I can only urge you to go and watch them for yourself. But uh, I found them extremely entertaining and interesting. Back to you, Jason. So I did not back the new Kickstarter. Well, it's not new anymore. But anyway, the second printing or the second iteration revised, Best Left Buried. I had bought all the Best Left Buried stuff after it came out and ran it a couple times. And just it, it fell flat for me. It, it just didn't work as well. There were problems with it. Um, hopefully they fixed those. But I yeah, I just didn't back the second one. It just didn't didn't do it for me. I'm, I'm glad to hear that maybe hopefully they've improved the problems. I'd be curious to know what all the extra content is. You say these are a lot thicker. Um, I got excited there for a minute. I thought you said capitalist and, and then you corrected yourself to cabellist. So, you know, I, I, I think playing a party of mixed capitalists and Marxists would be a, a kind of fun game with, with the right group. Um, yes. Best left buried. Well, the, the book is thicker because it has increased content. Um, Best Left Buried Deeper includes a whole section called The Hunter's Guide to Monsters, which wasn't in the original book. The paper stock is really high quality. This really nicely put together book. But I can totally understand why you uh, wouldn't get on board with it, given that... The, the initial game was, well, if not broken, certainly it didn't explain itself very well. It seems that the problem lies in the lack of clarity in how the rules should be implemented. And it would seem they have done a lot of work ironing that out, cleaning that up. Essentially, the rules haven't changed but the way they have been explained has been much improved. I totally get the frustration behind the, the the way the first book was put out because of how how it was written, I guess. While I haven't really had the opportunity to dive into it yet, this version is very clean and clearly laid out. It is much improved. You know, the interesting thing is, I think Best Left Buried is a great example of what I was trying to talk about in my 
GM Meta Mechanics episode. And maybe I'll bring this up on my next episode because I think this really hits on something. Best Left Buried, and, and the new iteration might be great. It might implement these things much better. But I think where it's trying to mechanically force in horror and grimness and bleakness and, and, and all the dark side of dungeon delving, and it's trying to do that mechanically, I think you could take the ideas from Best Left Buried and just incorporate them narratively into your regular D&D game. I don't mean 5th edition, but I mean your regular old school D&D game, right? Your TSR era D&D, BX, OSC. I think you could easily just take the ideas and concepts and not mechanically mix them in, just narratively mix them into your game. And that was kind of my point on my show, although I know we're not talking about metacurrency here with Best Left Buried, but, but you know, you take a game like Best Left Buried, read it, get the ideas from it, and then incorporate those ideas, you know, how to make a game more dark and how, how to make it, you know, play up the horror elements of it. and You know, take those ideas and then incorporate that into your game. With 5th edition, maybe you use conditions to weigh the characters down and to, you know, to cause the characters' complications, things like that. I don't know. I, I, I don't have 5th edition. I'm talking out my butt here. But, but, I, but I think you... I, hopefully I'm communicating a little better what I, what I meant to say. Okay, back to your show. You know, I recently rewatched Bride of Frankenstein, a wonderful movie. And in Bride of Frankenstein, there's the scene where Dr. Pretorius and a couple murderers that he's got under his care are going into a crypt, and the Frankenstein monster is hiding in the crypt. And the assistants end up leaving the crypt, and Dr. Pretorius stays in there to eat a meal and then meets the Frankenstein monster. But as those assistants leave the crypt, they cut do a cutscene to those assistants. And, and I'm in the car. I don't have it in front of me. But basically, one assistant says, if we have to do this again, it would be better to go back and face charges as murderers. And the other said, I'm right there with you. And, and, and I think that maybe captures the idea of what you're trying to get to with Best Left Buried, right? That it's so horrible, it might be better to turn yourself into jail. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that, Jason, because one of my initial thoughts is that I feel it does try to systematize. Is that the right word? Um, the, the sort of things that, say, a game like Enter the Odd suggests through flavor, whereas Enter the Odd is very light mechanically that kind of uh, grim, dark, horror-type atmosphere is all there in the way it presents itself. Whereas, yeah, Best Left Buried tries to bake that into the rules. And I can see myself maybe using Best Left Buried as more like a source book for something like Into the Odd. However, saying that, I would love to give it a go as is at some point but um it's not at the top of the list right now i got to say you didn't disappoint me with the merp thing i kind of figured that but i kind of threw that in is a joke um i i think you'd find that you you end up referencing the one ring 
second edition book quite a bit too, unfortunately. So I'm not sure if that will quite do it for you. The Ray Otis did a hack of some, or it might be a hack. I take that back. That's not fair to Ray. But Ray Otis did a, a game for The Hobbit there and back again. That might be um, worth looking at if, if you haven't. Surely you have. As far as the other products you received, very cool, very neat unboxings. And as far as Joe's call, well, you know, books on tape sounds in Oh, that's why, that's why I called. <laughs> See, can't remember even why I called. I hope you update your show notes so that other podcasts, that Barbarian podcast, the short positive podcast, that I can see the what that is so I can listen to it. Uh-huh. Oh, so you have a point to your call this time. <laughs> I'm just joking with you, Jason. Um, yeah, Wizards and Wobblies is the name of the podcast. And yeah, it's a great little show. It's um, I think it's been daily so far. And um, yeah, the presenter goes by the name of Logar the Barbarian and uh, he quite often has other people he plays with chatting on there too and it's just a good little show of the guy talking about stuff he loves about gaming quite often there's uh, reviews of things he did uh, Rackham's Vale recently and uh, other OSE stuff uh, I'm pretty sure I eventually put a link in those show notes, but if not, I will put one in here anyway, as I've mentioned it again. So, yeah, well worth checking out. I think the episodes range from about 15 to 30 minutes. Also, when I mentioned The One Ring, it was in respect of if I wanted to go and revisit Middle-earth, in a game, I would probably lean towards using a system like the One Ring. I wasn't suggesting that that would be a system where you wouldn't have to reference the rule book during play. And uh, yes, I am familiar with Ray Otis's game There and Back Again. Very nice, light rules. Um, I think it was a trifold, but that game is very much designed to evoke the feeling of the original edition of The Hobbit, which is uh, a little less Middle-earthy, shall we say. Tolkien went back to rewrite The Hobbit, made some alterations to make it fit in with Middle-earth lore a bit better, shall we say, whereas that original version is much more of a children's story, a, a very fairy tale theme to it i'll put in a link to ray's itch page in the show notes where you can find there and back again along with a lot of other great stuff as for osr i agree with you joe is definitely the authority i go to when i want to know something about osr and yeah i don't necessarily agree with those definitions that people put on things like trad gamers being a more narrative story kind of thing I know some people played that way, so I don't know. But, you, you know, we can always quibble over definitions. The key is that we come together later and can agree to disagree. So I will wait to listen to your green night until I watch the movie. So this will be the last message for today. Take care, my friend. Thank you, Jason. Um, yeah, back to the subject of labels and things. Uh, reading that Six Cultures of Gaming, I'd never seen it 
broken down in that way. And, um, you know, even in the article itself, it's very clear that the, the person writing it realises that these categories are relatively arbitrary and by no means exhaustive. It doesn't encompass everybody that plays and everybody that plays doesn't fit comfortably in, into each category. You know, I mean, this all just all theorising about a game that started life being called a non-game. It's all very confusing. And to uh, illustrate how confusing things can get, this isn't your last message for today, as I've got some more. But I realise it's not today for you when you said that. And... Spencer, my friend, before I listen about your bonus section, unboxing and gaming weekend, I have to tell you that we need to talk about spoilers because, well, to quote Enigma Montoya, I do not think you know that, I don't not think that word means what you think that word means. Okay. Maybe I don't know my Princess Bride as well as I should, or maybe I'm a little bit in my cups, but you very definitely spoiled the hell out of that movie. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say. Luckily, I watched the movie before I listened to you, your spoiling of the movie, so it's all good for me. I feel bad for the other poor saps that believed he didn't spoil it. Um, if you haven't read the story, go read the story. It's wonderful. There are great translations out there. There are accessible translations out there. There are ones you can listen to on audio. Listen to it. It's a great story. It really is. I had read the story, you know, in the past, so I, I knew the story from that, but <laughs> there are differences between the story and the movie, let me just say that, And uh, but I do recommend you check the story out, the story's wonderful, um, and the movie also is wonderful, I'm very happy I saw it, and I'm very happy I saw it before I listened to your review, let, let me listen to um, the bonus section of your podcast. Um, thanks, Jason, I will do that. At some point. Um, yeah, you say I spoiled the hell out of it. I mean, I don't think I said anything about the movie beyond the setup. You know, and any any other details I mentioned, I think, are there in the Green Knight story itself. And that's 700 years old. So, I don't know. I, I, I tried. I hope your gaming weekend went well. Um, and I hope you enjoy the items you unboxed. I'd be interested if you want to report back on that. Was it side quests was it called? I'd be interested to hear your experience with that. So take care, my friend. I will talk to you soon. And um, yeah, no, no hard feelings about the, the spoiler filled review. Talk, take care. Um, yeah, thank you, Jason. I had a great weekend's gaming. And, um, well, I think I covered that in the previous episode. As far as side quests is concerned, the Fortress of Bone, I've only really had a flick through it. It's a great little book. It's um, a solo game, but you are leading a party, like a band of adventurers. And it presents you with 
uh, a series of encounters. And uh, you play through the book, and I think at the end you get to pick additional characters and you can kind of play through it again. So rather than uh, like a solo journaling game, which I feel a lot of solo games appear to be, this is much more focused on encounters and combat, which is just a a slightly different approach. And uh, yeah, that's something I picked up on Etsy. I'm not sure where I saw it mentioned. Probably on Facebook somewhere. But um, yeah, thanks for all your wonderful calls, Jason. And thanks for providing me with lots of content that makes putting together an episode so easy. Cheers. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off The Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.